0: Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio.
1: Hey, Mia Hull with you on FBI Radio 94.5 DAB, streaming online or on the podcast. This is Out of the Box. It's the place where each week I sit down with one person to talk through the stories and songs that have shaped their life. Today I'm coming to you from the FBI radio and studio, which is in so-called Redfern, which is on unceded land belonging to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Before we get into the show today, I want to pay my respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any First Nations person listening right now. Gadigal people have been coming together to share stories and songs on this land since the beginning of time. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today's guest will be no stranger to you. She was actually on air yesterday hosting Wednesday Lunch, as she always does. Yes, my guest is Tanya Ali, and she does so much more than host Wednesday Lunch on FBI Radio. She's actually our managing director, so she drives a lot of what we do here at the station. During our supporter drives, she's joining me to talk about her story and the story of FBI and how much those two play into each other. You'll be surprised, I think. (laughs) They kind of grew up together, these two things. We'll also learn about Tanya on a personal level. She's a lover of Meg Washington, a fearless leader, a music maker, precocious, and a huge horse girl. Tanya Ali, what an honour. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh,
0: Mia, thank you for having (laughs) me. I am so excited and so nervous.
1: I'm nervous too. Look, listener, I'm going to put on the record and I don't mean to pull back the curtain too much on Out of the Box, but this is actually the first time I've ever done it live in three years. It's always pre-recorded. So, I mean, this is a great opportunity for you to take part in Out of the Box. If you like to, you can text in 0409
0: 945 945 if you've got a burning question for Tanya Ali. Or when you're <laughs> signing up as an FBI radio supporter <laughs> at fbiradio.com forward slash supporter drive, feel free to leave a little note and we'll read it out. Yeah, and you'll get a live response from the managing director, which is
1: something that not many people get when they... Support. So, <laughs> but before we talk about FBI and your story here, Tanya, let's just talk about your story in your life. Where does it start?
0: Well, I was born in Dubai. So, uh, my parents were working there at the time, and my brother, who's nine years older than me, was going to school there. I was born there, but pretty quickly i think when i was 1 or 2 we moved to sydney so i don't really have any memories of that but it was always a kind of fun fact when i was growing up mm. and i remember as a kid no one knew where dubai was um so it was always yeah weird weird having that as my little trivia about myself
1: when you say your parents were working there do you mean to say they weren't from there?
0: No, they weren't from there. So um, my parents are both from Pakistan. My dad is from Lahore and my mom's from Karachi. Uh, and they met when they were working at a newspaper in Karachi, which I actually only found out today when I asked them. <laughs> um, but uh, they moved to Dubai um, and were working at a newspaper there as well. So they're both journalists.
1: Amazing. So your parents and you and your brother come over to Australia when you're quite young What does it mean to kind of be a a young Pakistani family moving to Sydney in the early 2000s? Do you have memories from that time?
0: Um, My memories are probably a little bit later. Yeah, as I said, I think we moved when I was one or two. I know that um, from stories, you know, I know that we um, moved in with my uh, grandma and some of my mum's family who had moved here a year or two earlier. Um, But... Then we moved into the house that I grew up in uh, and where my parents still live to this day in Mortdale uh, on the very day that Diana died, which is wild. So (laughs) 1997, we'll never forget. What
1: does that mean? Um,
0: (laughs) Look, I think it means that they had to plug the TV in real quick to be across what was going on. I think we were probably some of the last people in the world to know because of the moving chaos and Mm. looking after two kids in the process. But um, For two journos, that must have felt terrible. I know. No, they love to be on the. They love to have their finger on the pulse. But uh, yeah, so I, I mean, early days. I think it's meant a lot of different things for me, um, being Pakistani or you know, uh, growing up as a first generation, essentially Pakistani in Sydney. Um, and I think when I was really young, I, I was always aware of our difference, so to speak. Um, my parents are self-proclaimed citizens of the world and, um, you know, had like uh, Western-leaning educations, I suppose. And um, so it wasn't necessarily uh, one of the migrant stories that you sometimes hear of um, kids having to translate for their parents or whatever. That was never my experience. Um, But there was always cultural difference, I suppose. And I think as a Really young person, uh, and growing up into my early teens, I was quite resistant to that, and really uh, keen to lean into, I'm um, doing air quotes here, Australian culture. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that comes from? Yeah, I guess that idea of your parents feeling like they're more citizens of the world. I I think. I kind of pushed back on that too. Like I wanted to be a citizen a citizen of Australia. Um, and, you know, even when I, I remember when I started school, I had like quite a ambiguous accent or, you know, I kind of spoke like my parents did and they still don't have Australian accents. Um, and very quickly I just like started to, uh, as most kids do, uh, speak like the people in my class um, mm. and have, have now what can only be described as an Australian <laughs> accent um, and things like that. Or even like my parents pronounce my name as Tanya, like mm. with a soft T. And it, immediately when I went to school, I was like, oh, everyone's calling me Tanya. I guess I'm Tanya. Yeah, I guess I'm Tanya now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you kind of describe that as almost having an end. You talk about, you know, your childhood and teens kind of being a time that you pushed back against your roots, was there a moment that that changed for you?
0: Um, Yeah, I think, like, it was both gradual and sudden like over the years I think in primary school I went to pretty predominantly white primary schools uh, and yeah just didn't didn't ever want to be acknowledged as brown Uh, and then when I started high school I went to a predominantly East Asian high school so I was still like a minority in terms of being South Asian uh, and because I kind of I suppose to some people look like ethnically ambiguous I could I was like essentially white passing for a lot of that time. Um, But I also made my first like ever real South Asian friends at high school. And I think kind of seeing their families and how their family dynamics were, I realised that our family uh, was quite disconnected from culture. You know, we didn't grow up around South Asian community or Pakistani community apart from family. Um, And... I, I think I like I wouldn't say I re, like grew to resent that, but I think it just feels like a bit of uh, a loss. And so as I started to grow up more and decided that I didn't want to be white, I was like really proud of my heritage and obviously still am. Um, I I think I felt a little bit like a fraud or like a bit disconnected from being able to fully claim Pakistani identity because I don't know what it's like to be, you know, Pakistani, living in Pakistan. And I guess that's, you know, so much of the diaspora experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is something that as I learned about going to uni, um, you know, even just learning about the word diaspora and learning about the concept of intersectionality, I started to understand that like that's probably where my cu- cultural identity kind of centers as opposed to any like I don't know it's a, everyone's experience is so different um, and I didn't really ever realize until I started reading some of those like academic texts um, in first year uni that that was a community in itself.
1: Mm. yeah it's it's interesting how so many of us. I don't know, learn about learn about our roots or get close to our roots through, like, academia or through archives. In my personal experience of being an Aboriginal woman, you know, that wasn't something that I got to know until we found it in an archive and then I started to intellectualise it more. And, like, that almost feels like an avenue into that space if you didn't
0: grow up with it. Totally, totally.
1: And it's a very small part of your story, Tanya. You have done so much in your life and we're going to talk about that all the way up until... I mean, not a small part, it's a big part, but <laughs> you've done so many other things in your life and we'll talk about them all the way up until one o'clock today. But first, we're here to talk about the songs that have defined your life as well. The first one is from Operator Please. Why did it make it into your track list uh, today?
0: <laughs> if you knew me when I was like f- from the ages of 12 to I would say like 16, Operator Please was A way of life for me like it wasn't just a band I was so obsessed with them Uh, and I don't really know where that obsession started I remember when just a song about ping-pong came out which I'm sure you know (laughs) um, I found it really annoying like most people did at the time Um, but then I guess when their album yes yes Vindictive dropped which is what uh, we're gonna hear a song off um, I just fell in love with it and only like later on kind of looking back did I realise that maybe part of it was because Amanda, the lead singer, was this like boss woman of colour just in a sea of really white like pop punk bands and uh, that really resonated with me even though I didn't necessarily realise that at the time.
1: Amazing. It's zero zero. By Operator Please on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5, chosen by my guest, Tanya Ali. We are here doing Out of the Box with Tanya as part of our supporter drive, so if you do want to text in and ask her a question or become a supporter, head to fbiradio.com forward slash supporter drive or text in on 0409 945 945 00. (laughs) Tune. <laughs> <laughs> to it. I'm joined by a radio presenter as you can hear. That was Operator Please and Zero Zero on FBI Radio 94.5. You are listening to Out of the Box. I'm Mia Hull. I am joined by the other voice on air, <laughs> Tanya Ali, who you might know from Wednesday lunch or from being our managing director. If you're a real fan of FBI, you might have known that. You also might have known that she's been known to produce out of the box in the past. So it's very <laughs> fun to like now have you as a guest. Before we played that song, we talked about your early life and a lot of that was kind of centered on heritage I want to pivot because another big part of your identity and something that has kind of defined your life Tanya is that you're a horse girl (laughs) you're a huge horse girl it's true so with that in mind I want to go back to 2005 I want to go to a forum for the Horsewise magazine Yeah. Why do you remember being on that forum? Why does that stick out to you?
0: Okay, so yeah, I got into horses when I was like maybe seven and in 2005, that was a few years later, so I was like nine or ten and uh, I had found this magazine that, I really liked reading and there seemed to be this community of horse lovers, you know, out there all across the country. And so, I don't know, forums were like a weird but like very current thing at that time. I was definitely too young to be using them, but for some reason my parents let me. I was like quite online and like very into being on the computer from a super young age. Um, And Do you think like your parents as journalists just wanted you to like be in the world? Yeah, I reckon and i reckon they're like go go forth connect um, so there's a story there yeah, yeah. so the horsewise forum like It felt a little bit different to like your average internet forum because it was moderated by the editor of the magazine, Vicky. And I think that also my parents probably felt a bit more comfortable in that coming from newspapers, magazines, being like, yeah, yeah, this is a legit like platform for our child to be on. So I was on the forum and there was like a um, pen pal kind of program that um, the forum was facilitating and I basically like me and a few other people became this group that was called the cool kids with a K Um, Mm -hmm. and then that group uh, turned into the horsey gigglers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was like I think maybe five or six of us and we just like would talk online Uh, and we I believe we either We asked the editor to facilitate us becoming pen pals and, like, sharing our addresses, or we maybe just told our parents that we were doing that and they shared our addresses with each other anyway. Um, But we started to send letters, like, all to each other. So, yeah, there was kind of a lot of different, like, inter-friendships in that space. But one person that I met through there who is now uh, my oldest friend uh, is a person called Inika, uh, and Inika and I would write letters to each other like all the time. Um, I was just changing primary schools. And so I think I was like going through a bit of a transitional phase and Inika was like my freaking rock. Like I would just basically write these letters that were like writing in a diary and then just send them off and never think about them. And I'm pretty sure they still have uh, a box of my letters. Um. But yeah, so uh, this like beautiful friendship blossomed and not to say that there weren't other friendships in the Horsewise era that were meaningful at the time. I remember there was this girl called Jasmine who uh, was at my high school, but this is when I was in primary school and then I went to high school and like knew this girl in year nine when I was in year seven and she was like kind of intimidating but also it was nice to know someone there. So there were all these like little horse girl connections Um But yeah, I think even, you know, pretty quickly we realised, particularly me and Inika realised that we had a lot more in common than just horses. Did either of you have horses? No, neither of us did, which is something that we really uh, connected over, I think. (laughs) Inika probably had uh, more proximity to horses because they lived in Geelong and I was like in, you know, suburban Sydney. Mm. I used to ride occasionally and I think Inika was the same. Like we'd go to the stables and go on trail rides and stuff. We've never actually done it together though um we've never horse ridden together hopefully for that's in our future I, no joke we have talked about that <laughs> I think we yeah we'll do something like that um so yeah I, I think we'll uh, it could just like shape so much of my early life in that it, they were like so interesting and, like, engaged with the world and, like, really into comedy. Uh, they introduced me to The Mighty Boosh, which became another one of my obsessions in my, like, early teens to late teens. Uh, and it just, like, it became this person who's, like, we've grown up together and we've seen mm. each other through all of these different phases in life and it's so special and so, like, just the most fun story to tell people, like, often when we're hanging out and meeting new people, we'll, we'll break out the we met on a horse forum story and it's really beautiful. <laughs> it is really beautiful and I'm so glad
1: you shared it on the radio today as well. <laughs> I mean, at the start of the show, I called you precocious. Yes. I think that you just were doing a lot as a teen. One was, you know, upholding this um, friendship with Inika through writing, but you were writing for an online mag or doing some music writing as well. Sometimes you'd have this story about interviewing Big Scary on the playground. I mean, (laughs) how did you arrive at that as, you know, a a wee teen?
0: Yeah, so I was always really obsessed with music uh, and I think I had, uh, I guess because also my parents were journalists and like, you know, media kind of existed in our world in a big way from a young age and, you know, mum always had the radio on. She did some radio herself when we first moved to Sydney and dad has always worked at a newspaper here since, since we've moved here. So, um, I, I think I, and I was always into writing, um, And so it felt from a pretty young age, like music and writing combining would make sense for me. And I um, used to go to a lot of all ages gigs uh, as soon as I was allowed to do so. And um, I I think I just saw this opportunity at a publication, which I think still exists, called the AU Review. Um, And... I started to volunteer there essentially. It was like all remote. It was something that I could do as an under 18 uh, and I would review albums and I would occasionally review gigs and then I would also, uh, I started to interview people so I started to do phone interviews. I think Big (laughs) Scary was one of the first ones, Tom from Big Scary, (laughs) which was I was so, so nervous (laughs) Um, and yeah, then like the, the school bell rang in the middle of the interview and I pretty sure I just hung up on him and then had to call back. Well, did you not was, want him to know that you no, were a student? But of course he knew because my voice was so high at the time. Like I was literally in your nine. Why is
1: there a Monstera on the Not Art album?
0: This was pre-Not Art, baby. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. So yeah, you're engaging in music, you're engaging in interviews, you're engaging in writing. And I guess radio kind of starts to emerge in your life at this point too, Tanya. Let's go to the Newtown Festival Yes. I swear, listener, all, all of these things will make sense soon. We're just tying together all these bows. We're <laughs> going to the Newtown Festival. You find a bake sale. Why did that moment stick out to you?
0: Yeah, so I am at Newtown Festival. I'm in year nine, like 14 or 15. Uh, I think I'm so cool out with my friends. And um, I see this bake sale and I see that it's run by FBI radio. And I think I had heard of FBI uh, at the time probably through like obsessively reading street magazines and there were a few artists that I really liked from Sydney that were kind of getting a lot of airplay on FBI like uh, this duo called Q Uh, and I think also just like I mentioned that I was going to all ages gigs a lot often I would just go to discover acts and so I think FBI had a presence at some of these places Um, but I uh, approached this bake sale. I can't remember if I bought anything to eat, but I definitely took a sticker, um, an FBI sticker. And then I um, tried to listen to FBI. Like I was listening to radio at the time, but um, anytime I tried to tune into FBI, it was a bit too um, too too advanced for me I think I, I wasn't quite uh my taste wasn't as experimental and I wasn't ready to be challenged and I think I was like this was pre me uh understanding or enjoying electronic music um but I think I still thought I thought everything about it was really cool um and so I uh basically the the following year when we were told to find somewhere to do work experience, one of my first ports of call was FBI and I remember coming in here for the first time. There was like the pink and blue uh, Mm. out the front Um, and it felt intimidating but also cool. I was with one friend and we, I think we got let in. I have a vague memory of like sitting on the couch out the front for a while and then we were just told that, like, no, we weren't taking, that they weren't taking work experience uh, people and that was the first of many rejections <laughs> that came well, you at showed them, station, didn't Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ha jokes no, on you. <laughs> yeah. I
1: just, I know that that felt random, but I think I'm just trying to paint a picture of, like, Tanya Ali between, like, 12 and 18 because, like, you're upholding this, like, amazing and long-lasting friendship with Inika as a pen pal, (laughs) you know, you're writing for for a magazine and I don't know, like you're starting in music, which we'll talk about in a few minutes as well, and like engaging in the community already. To me, that sounds like a perfect storm for someone to go on to become, you know, the host of Wednesday Lunch at FBI Radio (laughs) and FBI Radio's managing director. I don't know many people who can kind of talk about their teenage years with such accomplishment. I'm so embarrassed by like 15 year old me and I don't mean to gush so much but I don't know I just I just think it's cool and I really wanted to share that <laughs> I'm out of the box today. I also didn't realise um, you know the the extent of you know your horse girl history. I think you had kind of mentioned it in the past but I didn't realise it was something that had kind of like defined your life all the way up until like late teens. Yeah in a big way. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that You know, you've talked about sometimes, and I guess I didn't really understand the extent of the love or obsession, is Meg Washington. Totally. You have chosen a Meg Washington song to play on Out of the Box today.
0: I sure have. (laughs) Uh, When we talk about all ages gigs, there's one memory that just comes to me so vividly, and it is uh, Meg Washington's gig at the Oxford Art Factory. She was, like, doing a headline 18-plus show that night, but she did a... uh, like early afternoon kind of vibe for I guess it was all ages but it felt like it was only under 18s in the room um, like 4 p.m on a Saturday Uh, and it was the first time that I saw her live but I loved her album I Believe You Liar and uh, at the time I was like really keen to pursue music as a career like being a musician and she was such a massive inspiration to me Uh, but This song in particular that you're going to hear, Underground, it's like a really beautiful kind of ballad and she sent her band off stage and the song, like the album had just come out a few weeks ago uh, and everyone, it's like quite a quiet moment which you'll hear in a second and everyone was whispering the words along with her and she was singing and then she was crying on stage and everyone in the crowd was crying. It was the most amazing live music that I had experienced at the time and maybe that I've ever experienced. It was so beautiful and it will always stick with me.
1: Wow, I love that. This is Underground by Meg Washington. And, I mean, just before we jump into the song... I want to mention something else that's a bit emotional and teary as well. Is a text that we just got in on 0409 945 945. It says, I love you, Tanya. Horsey giggles for life. I think, a tra- I think a trail ride for our 30th year of friendship is mandatory. Love from Innie. Oh. <laughs> this is out of the box on FBI radio, and this is Underground by Meg Washington.
0: If the day is sunny, let my father say some words. I go down to the city square and give the I so my money
1: You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAV or streaming via the podcast or on the website, fbiradio.com. That was Meg Washington. The song was called Underground and it kind of came off the back of my guest on Out of the Box today, Tanya Ali, talking about a beautiful moment that she shared with Megan Washington at an underage show where she was crying to that song. And she's crying in the studio right now. Yeah, um, tears are gushing
0: down my face.
1: I can't tell if you're crying because of that song or because, you know, we're celebrating 20 years of FBI... And we're in the thick of our supporter drive, which is another reason to cry from happiness. It's Um, true.
0: (laughs) And 20 years of FBI Radio, no
1: more without you. You know what we always say. (laughs) Yeah, no more without you. If you do sign up to become a supporter between now and September 29, you go in the running to win a bunch of incredible prizes, which you can find on our website, fbiradio.com forward slash supporter drive. And you also keep people like Tanya Ali in the job, which <laughs> hey. is... Hey, <laughs> please. <laughs> please. <laughs> um, but, you know, enough of that. Let's go back to your story, Tanya, because, yeah, before we talked about you as a horsey giggler, we, we <laughs> talked about you attending underage shows and kind of engaging in music as a listener and a, a writer of music or a writer about music, but you also wanted to be a writer of music and make it. So I guess, where were you in life
0: when music first stuck out to you as something that you did want to participate in in that way? I think I was making music from a really young age. I had this like really awful Casio keyboard that I would like mess around on and I would always make up little songs with my friends and stuff um, from yeah from primary school but In high school, uh, we started to uh, learn, like we all learned how to play guitar and really quickly I was like, cool, I want to do lessons on this. I really like it. Um, So I started doing guitar lessons weekly and around that time, I guess I was just kind of experimenting with singing and that was something that I'd never felt confident in. I think I did choir in like primary school a couple of times, but I wasn't good. Um, But I, I guess I was listening to people like Megan Washington and, uh, you know, Lisa Mitchell, Sarah Blasco and, like, (laughs) realising that maybe there was something that I could do there, like that singing wasn't necessarily being able to belt with vibrato. You could, like, be a little folk girly, you know? (laughs) And um, I started to do that and started to perform. So I think the first time that I performed... A song um, in front of people was like in year eight um, on guitar and accompanied by my friend Anusha on violin. And then we would go to become a little like guitar vocal duo called Barnacle Jane and the Cliffhanger. (laughs) Um, And I I guess that, that was really like where my confidence started to build up with music and I was writing stuff that I never really shared with anyone and now looking back it definitely wasn't very good but... I was really into it and I think it became a a bit of a dream for me. Like I was like being a musician is what I want to do and every time I went to a live show uh, I was watching the people on stage being like that could be me, like that is what I want to do. So all of the other music stuff around it, like, you know, listening and engaging with the radio and like doing the music writing stuff was kind of... uh, Working toward this ultimate goal of being a musician and having that be my career.
1: It's interesting that you were engaging it in such a big way while living in Sydney and like going to gigs in Sydney because you having music making as an ultimate goal brought you down to Victoria, to Geelong. Why did you make that choice?
0: I think when I was in about year nine, I started saying to people, yeah, when I graduate, I'm going to move to Melbourne and become a musician. Like that just became this story that I told about myself for so long. And by the time I actually was graduating, I didn't really want to move to Melbourne anymore. I still wanted to be a musician, but I wasn't so sure. Uh, but I felt like I had put myself into this position where if I didn't do it, I would be a failure. Um, so I forced myself into it. Uh, and, you know, I, I, another real massive plus of moving to Melbourne slash Victoria was that Inika grew up in Geelong and was still living in Geelong and we had decided that we would move into a place in Melbourne together. So I moved to Geelong technically. Sorry, can I just ask, up until this moment, had you met Inika yet or were you only pen pals? <laughs> yes, we had met a couple of times before. The first time we met, we were like both, I think, 11 or 12 and we went to this dinner in Melbourne with both of our sets of parents and we just like sat there almost <laughs> silently just like with the biggest grins on our faces <laughs> and luckily our parents really got along and had heaps to talk about, otherwise it would have been an incredibly awkward lasagna. <laughs> um, but... Since then, I think we had both like, yeah, every time that either of us went to Sydney or Melbourne, we would hang out, um, of course, but we hadn't spent an extended amount of time together. And so I moved into their parents' place in Geelong. They had a granny flat and we were living with one of Inika's friends. um, So there were three of us in this granny flat um, and we were kind of looking at houses in Melbourne. I was going to Melbourne Uni. Um, Pretty quickly I realised that I didn't really vibe with it. Um, and also, you know what? Everyone who found out that I was from Sydney and Melbourne that I met was like, immediately shitting on Sydney really? and it really pissed me off because <laughs> yeah. at that point I didn't even realise how much I loved Sydney like I didn't think I had any particular Sydney pride I was just like yeah this is all I've known um, and I knew I liked Melbourne but then when people were like so antagonistic about it like every person I would say to that I was from Sydney would their initial reaction would be like oh well isn't it good that you're here now or like I bet you're stoked to be here now kind of thing and I was like mm, no I love love my city. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where that all began. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, it was a really exciting time and step for Maya and Inika's friendship, um, that we were like looking at this shared future, I guess. Um, but it also just pretty quickly, became clear that it wasn't going to work out for me. I wasn't eligible for Centrelink and so my parents were supporting me while I tried to find a job there and I couldn't find a job and uni was annoying and just, like, not good and then we couldn't find a house mm. and, um, yeah, it, ju- it just felt like nothing was really going right enough for me to stick it out there. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that the whole reason that I went there was because I thought I would be a failure if I didn't and so I was really grappling with some them, like big feelings about like not being able to stick it out and having to like go back to Sydney and show face and and be like, yeah, like embrace the fact that it didn't work out. Um, but I did it. I, I do think that, yeah, you rarely come to those kind of
1: crossroads in your life where you have to be like, oh, no, this isn't working. I now have to make another big decision. I think a lot of the time things just naturally lead into each other and like your Melbourne journey could have turned into something else, but to get there and do a U-turn Especially at the age you were at, what like late 18. teens, eighteen, yeah. yeah, like that's that's huge, and like those things are hard. So give yourself credit for that. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you come back to Sydney. What did your life look like when you got back here?
0: Well, I before I left Melbourne, I uh, had applied for presenter training at a little station called FBI Radio. And let me tell you, I had applied for presenter training in the past uh, when I was in year 11, uh, and I absolutely bombed the group interview. That I Like, I got into the group interview, which was a huge win, but, yeah, totally bombed it, was really nervous and scared, and everyone was so cool. And so I got rejected from that, and probably a blessing because I think it would have been really hard to do all-nighters when I was in high school, but... Um, I saw the like thing go up again for um, presenter training and I applied and then hadn't heard back. And then I think just before I left Melbourne I got an email about uh, an interview and it happened to be the day after I was arriving back in Sydney. So Cosmic. Yeah, it felt really fateful. <laughs> it genuinely felt so fateful. And I was like in a place in my life where I was thinking a lot about fate at that time. So it really felt like a sign. Um, and I came and because I knew that like knew exactly what the interview would be like. I felt so much more confident and self-assured and I, uh, you know, got in, which the rest is history, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, we'll talk
1: about that history all the way up until one o'clock today. I also, before we get into the next song, do want to say that we got a text on 0409945945 from someone saying, Melbourne is cringe, Sydney is based AF. Hey, so
0: true. So, so true. freaking true. Say it louder.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. And you know what? Like, let's celebrate Sydney with a song from a Sydney artist. You've chosen Rainbow Chan, one of our most played artists across the last 20 years, to play on Out of the Box today. Why did this song stick out to you?
0: I have so much love for Rainbow Chan, and this song. Uh, basically, I went to a uh, M- Music New South Wales Women in Electronic Music Masterclass in 2016. At the time, I wasn't making a whole lot of music, I don't think, and I really pushed myself to apply for this thing, and I got in. And Rainbow Chan was teaching about loops and layering, uh, and. She played us this song before it was released, before she put out her album Spacings a little bit later that year, and it just struck such a chord within me. Uh, and since then, I have been the biggest Rainbow Chan stan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's pulled Into by Rainbow Chan on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. I
0: tied you on-
1: I got a text in on 0409-945-945 saying Sydney Stan Roll Call. And yeah, it has been very Sydney centered this episode of out of the box because you know what? This is a Sydney community radio station. We're in the thick of our frickin' supporter drive, and we've got the frickin' managing director. So yeah, it's very Sydney filled. <laughs> I also <laughs> got a text from someone saying, Mayor and Tanya, um, all this is literally my superhero team up Avengers moment. Thank Whoa. you so much for texting in and do keep the text coming because this is the first and only episode of Out of the Box I've ever done live. So what I never an get honor. to respond to your texts. Yeah, it is an honour. <laughs> that song we just played was from another Sydney superhero, of course, Rainbow Chan. The song was called Pulled Into. And when you were talking about it, Tanya, you were talking about a workshop that you had gone to where you first kind of encountered that song. Was there another reason that song connected with you other than, you know, the fact that you learnt about it in the workshop?
0: Big time. So I was in this like very hectic and tumultuous relationship at the time. And I have really clear memories of going into that workshop, like having maybe just had a fight or it was like a really low period. uh, And... Rainbow, I mean, if you were listening deeply to that song, you might have heard the start of it where uh, Rainbow's actually sampled herself crying into a microphone uh, and looped it and we were learning about that and that's why she showed us that song in particular. But that alongside the lyrics of the song really resonated with me in that moment for sure.
1: And, I mean, you talk about this relationship being tumultuous it kind of coincided the time that you were at FBI or started your journey at FBI what did it mean to kind of be engaging with this community while you know
0: having that relationship be the backdrop? Totally I think that it was an interesting time for sure and I I feel like I uh, was so in it in so many ways in the relationship uh, that I was kind of holding back from like fully engaging with FBI and there were obviously other reasons for that too. I was doing all-nighters for, I think, close to two years, um, my first two years at the station. And so apart from coming in for the odd station meeting, uh, I wasn't really meeting people. um, And uh, then I got offered Sunday lunch in, I think, 2016. And that too, you know, I would only see my direct before and after show neighbours. And so I didn't necessarily feel part of the community. um, But I think when that relationship, like finally properly ended right at the start of 2018, I was able to just fully lean in to FBI. And at the time I had actually uh, started hosting on Arvos, um, Monday Arvos, and I had a really amazing team uh, alongside me and kind of being in the station during office hours, starting to make relationships and um, forge friendships with the people who were around here and made the station tick was definitely part of that. So when that relationship finished, um, I think I had this, like, beautiful kind of safety net to fall back Mm. on, which was really nice. And so that did coincide with my, like, full like embrace of FBI as like my entire thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, part of that embrace is, yeah, kind of diving head first into the community
1: and yeah, leaning in, but it's also turning this into your job. You joined the partnerships team in what, 2018? Yes. And you've been on staff ever since. I have
0: indeed, yes.
1: And yeah, I am conscious that we're coming up to one o'clock, so in a few minutes, I want to talk about, yeah, what it means to kind of fully be in this space and what it means to have your story so intertwined with FBI since 2018. But I mean... It's not a Tanya Ali episode of Out of the Box without you playing a song by Charlie XCX, Oi. which does have some relevance to FBI as well.
0: Oh, big time. That <laughs> queen loves the station. She can't get enough of it. She You've... comes in here every time she's in Sydney. Famously. Yes. <laughs> um, but yes, Charlie XCX, I mean, I could talk about her forever. And I think one of the most special things about her and why she means so much to me is that she really encapsulates and represents so many of my dearest friendships that I've forged through this station. And she was a really big part of my first year on staff, and uh, you know, just like starting to bond with people like Ella Beer and like Bart De Naro and Grace Farrell and Darren Lasaga, so many angels who were all obsessed with Charlie. Uh, and you know, I think it just uh, her music makes me so happy. <laughs> this is Forever by Charlie XCX on Out
1: of the Box on FBI Radio
0: 94.5.
1: On out of the box on FBI Radio 94.5 This song beneath me is by Charlie XX. It's called Forever. And we got some texts in on 0409-945-945. Someone saying, just notice this feels live. Mia and Tanya, definitely a great pair. Yeah, you know what? It is live. And I got to read your text. Thank you for that. You texted <laughs> back in saying Tanya introduced me to Charlie XEX. And we got another text from someone else saying best Charlie X uh, Ch- Best Charlie XEX song hands down. Do you agree, Tanya? Oh, uh, it's so <laughs> so
0: hard, but. Um, I do love this song so much. And you know what? I do want to shout out that it came out in 2020, famously a wild year for the world. (laughs) And uh, it was on this album that Charlie put out during the pandemic, but like quite early in the pandemic. And so it kind of really like also encapsulates that era for me and, you know, working from home with my incredible housemate, Samantha Groth, uh, previous host of Wednesday Lunch here on FBI Radio. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, I, I think it just like is so filled with love, that song. So, yeah, I think it's one of her best for sure.
1: Amazing. And you chose it because you are here joining me as part of our supporter drive celebrating 20 years of FBI Radio, No More Without You. Um And it's, yeah, so nice to have your company as, you know, the host of Wednesday Lunch and also our managing director. FBI is now 20. You've been here for 10 years. That's half of FBI's life. And you've been here for your whole adult life as well. I mean, it's really hard to describe the magic of this community, but I do want to ask... What keeps you coming back?
0: Oh man, it- <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna get a bit emotional. It's it's really it's so wild that that I've been here for my entire adult life. Um, I feel like I've grown up here in so many ways, and as you said, I've been working here full time for about five years now and. The station has gone through so many ebbs and flows and changes in that time. Uh, and, you know, it hasn't always been easy at all. I just mentioned COVID. That was a really challenging time for the station. Uh, and even before then, you know, I have always been involved since since about 2017 or 2018. I've been involved in kind of... Uh, working to make fbi a better place in terms of representation in terms of equity and uh i just want to i guess shout out like some of the people that i th- i don't think i would be here without uh and particularly johnny lou darren lasagas and reg harris who were part of the uh so-called diversity committee uh that started in 2017 i like often think back to conversations that we've all had over the years and i think that it's so hard like being in an organization which you hold to such a high standard only out of absolute love and passion and knowing that it will always be a work in progress and it can always be better Uh, and without people like that this station would not be half of what it is today and yeah i i am just so in awe of them
1: tanya since 12 o'clock today we've talked about your life and fbi's life almost in retrospect i feel like at every chapter of you growing up fbi has played some role and it's very easy to like look at the past of fbi and look at all the magic that brought us here to this moment well this is so earnest (laughs) (laughs) but when you look forward to the fbi future what do you see
0: it's so exciting I think there are so many incredible people uh, here at the station making it what it is and what you listen to and what you love to hear day in day out and when I think of the FBI of the future, I can't even I can't even begin to conceive it. And what I think is so special is that there are all of these people in the back office, and all of the people that you hear on air, and all of the people who are volunteering their time behind the scenes uh, to just like invent new ideas and imagine new things for FBI to be. And so I can't predict what it's going to be in the future, but I'm just so excited and so grateful that it exists.
1: You know, you are a fearless leader. I said that at the top of the show and I'll say it now, having spent the last hour talking about your life, but to get to be close to you in this way has been really special because we both have used our hands to create something that is like super... I keep saying special, I don't know what else to say, but like the passion that drives this station is unmatched. And to get to do that with other people is a really beautiful thing (laughs) and not to ruin the earnestness of this moment. But if you want to keep that happening, (laughs) head to fbiradio.com forward slash a drive. That feels so disgusting, but I do mean, you know, our community does keep us moving and we run on the support of you, the listener. Do you have anything to add to that? I mean,
0: as, as we're saying a lot over the next 10 days, no more without you. And, you know, the only reason that FBI has existed for this last 20 years is because of your support. So uh, it's a really special community to be a part of and, yeah, could not recommend more. Oh, we've got a bunch of people walking to the studio right now. Hey! Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Tanya, you've chosen a song by Collarbones to finish the show with. If we talk about, you know, the past and present and future of FBI, Collarbones have been a part of at least the past and present. Why did this one make it into your track
0: list? Collarbones are forever, baby. (laughs) Um, They are so special. uh, And I think that this song that you're going to hear is um, really, like, encapsulates, I guess... 2023 to me. And while Collarbones are no longer making music together, I think this sound is so forward-thinking. It's so now and I couldn't could not have it as part of the five songs that I got to pick for Out of the Box today.
1: Incredible. This has been Tanya Ali on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. Thank you so much for tuning in and... Yeah, if you did want to listen back to this episode, you can head to the programs page on fbiradio.com where you'll find the full list of songs that Tanya brought to the show. Tanya also played a role in producing the show, as she does sometimes cameo <laughs> as the producer of Out of the Box. Um, and you can also listen back by the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Collarbones and Right for Filth.
0: Woo!